Thank you, Brother Charles. We love you and your family. It's uh, good to see you this morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Esther, if you will. Uh, some of you ask, I know Wednesday night we were here, but a lot of, we've had a lot of traveling. We did have a good trip last week. Had one saved Sunday night. Made the trip all worth it. Uh, the church we were preaching at Sunday night. Got a lot done on the mission house down there. But we do have a ton of announcements, and as well as a, an update on our, our pastor this morning. We'll share that at the close of service, and I'll spend a little bit of time with that. I think we have enough announcements that it looks like the Sears and Roebuck catalog, so we'll, but we'll get to those. I do want to mention over the radio, though, please be praying for the Jackson family. Uh, of course, Miss, um, uh, Miss uh, Glenda's brother passed away uh, this weekend, so we'll be praying for them. Of course, the Allen family as well. And then there are others that have written down that we'll look at in the close of service. Next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at a series about a queen that didn't want to be queen and a ruler who was a maniac. It kind of sounds like our normal uh, way of life these days, doesn't it? Look with me, the book of Esther. Title of the message this morning is, Where is God? Where is God? Verse 1 of chapter 1 of Esther. Now it came to pass in the days of Azarias, this is Azarias which reigned... From India even into Ethiopia, over a hundred and seven and twenty provinces. That in those days, when the king Azariah sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan the palace, in the third year of his reign, he made a feast unto all his princes, his servants, the power of the Persia, and Media, the nobles, the, or the princes of the provinces being before him. When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty many days, even a hundred and fourscore days. And when these days were expired, the king made a feast unto all the people that were present in Shushan the palace, both unto the great and small, seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace, where were white, green, and blue hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rings and pillars of marble. The beds were of gold and silver, and upon a pavement of red and blue and white and black marble. And they gave them drink in the vessels of gold, the vessels being diverse one from another, and royal wine in abundance according to the state of the king. And the drinking was according to the law. None did compel, for so the king had appointed the officers of his house, that they should do also according to every man's pleasure." Also Vashta the queen made a feast for the women in the royal house which belonged to King Azarias. And on the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehumen, Biztha, Harbana, Bigtha, and Abacatha, Zithar, and Carcass, the seven chamberlains that served in the presence of Azarias the king, to bring Vashta before the, the queen before the king with the crown royal, to show the people and the princes of her beauty, for she was fair to look on. But the, king, but the queen, Vashta, refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore the king was very wroth, and his anger burned within him. Then the king said to the wise men which knew the times, for so was the king's manner toward all that knew the law and judgment. And the next unto him was Karshina, Shethar, Adamatha, Tarshish, Meriz, Marcina, and Mimukin, the seven princes of the Persia and Media, which saw the king's face, which sat first in the kingdom. What shall we do unto the queen Vashta according to the law? Because she hath not performed the commandment of the king Azarias by the chamberlains. We'll leave off the reading there this morning, and I want to ask you the question, where is God? And all the passage that we just read, where's God? Just imagine with me. 
It's Thanksgiving time, November. The beautiful fall leaves have begun to fall outside, maybe a little tinge of the feel of the spirit of the air. You sit down before the table. You've got all the family gathered. Just imagine that. And I don't want to make you so hungry that you, go, you get out of here and go home and eat. But uh, don't think about your roast. But I want you to think about just looking at that table. I don't know what. Maybe you'll be on your Thanksgiving table. Maybe there's mashed potatoes with gravy. They're just steaming just right. Stuffing. Green beans. Sweet potato casserole. I mean, you look down at the end, there's even some of that cranberry sauce for a few of you that can stand it. <laughs> Biscuits. Right out of Bojang. I mean, right out of the oven. <laughs> and, and sweet tea. Coffee for dessert. Lima beans with a little side of mayonnaise. Mm. Some of you don't like that, but I do. I, I'm, I'm sorry, Brother Gary from Pennsylvania. I like to put lima beans with mayonnaise. I had to che- teach my wife about that. And I had to teach her about fried okra. Oh, she loves it now. Squash. But right there in the center, and oh, by the way, there might be just a little pecan pie, banana pudding, cheesecake for dessert to watch the ball games by. But right in the center is a beautiful silver platter with a covering over it that you know inside has got to be the best turkey ever. Everybody but the turkey enjoys it. And you're getting ready, and then just about that time, somebody goes up and they pick up the lid of that turkey platter, and there's nothing inside. Now, what is going to make the most statement... All that food that I've just described, or is everybody going to remember this Thanksgiving that something happened to the turkey? You're going to forget all about that food that's in front of you, and you're going to want to know who took the turkey, aren't you? That turkey is going to make the biggest statement of all. They say, what has that got to do with where's God and Esther? I want you to think about this. As we begin this study over the next uh, few weeks or a month or so, I want you to think about where is God in the book of Esther? As we begin to read this, you will notice that in the first, oh, 15 verses or so, we have not found the name of God mentioned not one time. As a matter of fact, as we continue through this study, Brother Watkins, we'll notice something, won't we? Well, the same way, the name of God is not going to show up at all. But the fact of his name not being there does not mean he's not there. Where is God in the book of Esther? In fact, in Jewish times and later on, they actually wrote an appendage which is not in the canon of Scripture, but they wrote another book to go behind and be read after Esther, and they put God in about every other phrase to try to make up for it. Friends, you can't improve on what God wrote. His absence of the physical name being there does not remove His spiritual, physical presence. 
In the book, it is actually a stronger statement of what is not there. Just like if that turkey wasn't on that platter, you would remember it. When you read this book, you won't find his name written. But oh my goodness. If you go through this book, this book is so full of God's providence and God's planning that only the blind in spirit and the dead in spirit can't see God. Where's God? In the power. You see, first of all, we see a a power, a ruler. And if you want to take notes, the power, where's God with this ruler, Azarias? Azarias is just simply a term meaning high ruler or father or king. It wasn't actually his name. His name was actually Xerxes. And uh, Xerxes, we'll find out, is a very interesting man. His father you may be familiar with. If I say the name Darius, do you remember something about Darius? Why Daniel and the lions then, right? That was his father. In fact, his father had been defeated in the land of Greece, something that you really, really need to remember as we go through this study. You'll remember, and you need to remember, that his father was defeated by the Grecians and, and all of that. And that's important because Azarias, or Xerxes here, has a chip on his shoulder with the land of Greece. He's, he's very upset with them. And I want to ask you again, where is God with the power that's present? Where is God with the power that's present in our land? Where is God with what's going on in our rulers, and our administration? Where is He? Next, we see the palace. Though many Bible stories start out in Jerusalem, this one is nowhere near. In fact, it is way, way far away. Many of the Jews have been kidnapped from their homeland and they have been removed. Their country has been taken over and they have been meshed within, as you remember Daniel and the boys were, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. This is some time later. They've all been meshed into this kingdom. Where's God and all that? Where is God and somebody coming into your home, stealing you and taking all your children, killing many and then stealing the best of the land and taking them to another country? That's what it was like. Where would God be in that? This palace was amazing, no doubt. Uh, Many of you may remember. You remember Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous with Robin Williams? (laughs) Some of you younger folks don't remember that. But he used to do a show entitled Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And they would have all the different things and the cars they rode in and all that kind of stuff. Well, this palace would no doubt be in that. I mean, if you look at this, it's marble. Pillars of marble, the couches or the chairs, the beds in which they sat. Gold, silver, beautiful. said that every one of the drinking vessels they had were of a different cup. And they were made out of Gold. Now, can you imagine going down to sit at lunch today and eat out of a pure gold cup? I mean, that's what they were doing. This was an amazing place. Where's God in the palace, though? But then next, I want you to see the provinces. Not only the power of the palace, but the provinces. He was in charge of 127 provinces, we see. Xerxes, and you need to remember, was a maniac of a ruler. He was power hungry. He was also, many historians feel, the perfect picture of a mentally unstable tyrant. If he was alive today, they would call him dysfunctional. One thing you got to remember about being a king. It wasn't the cloth. We, we think of old King Cole was a merry old soul and all these different things. We think of uh, you know, all the kings out of the fairy tales. 
you know, you, you see Snow White and you see all these different things. And you see these little, these wonderful kings who ruled with great honor and pride and justice. Well, forget all that. Most of these guys were at short, nothing better than grumpy old men. <laughs> Some of them were even perverts. And they were literally maniacs, some of them. One thing you had to remember, if you had a large kingdom, you had to be careful because if you had a large kingdom, there's one way to get it. You either inherited it or you went and beat somebody else out of it and took it from them. And so when you had a large kingdom, you were always worried about somebody else coming along and beating you up and taking it. To put it in playground talk. And so where is God in all these provinces? The lifespan of a king in these days was actually very, very short indeed. Because somebody was always trying to overthrow the kingdom and take it away. So where is God in these provinces? These provinces were scattered out. When we think of counties, it was something similar to that. They are scattered out for the entire, over the entire region. He's got a major network going of these counties and county seats and rulers and leaders in each one. But I want you to see next, not only the power and the provinces, but the party. Now, everybody likes a party, don't you? Are you guys awake with me? You like to party, right? You... I'm not talking about being bad. I'm talking about a birthday party, you know. Miss Mabel's going to have her 91st birthday tomorrow. Well, that's worth celebrating, isn't it? Imagine, 91 years. I just can't even... I told her this morning, I said, is it 19 years? And trying to tease her a little bit. And she said, oh, no, people think I was being ugly if I tried to say 19 years. (laughs) I think if you've lived 91 years, you can say you're as old as you want to be, can't you? (laughs) You know, I think after a point, the dial turns. You know, we spend most of our life trying to make ourselves younger than we are. (laughs) When when you get to a certain age, you're actually kind of proud of that, right? And uh, here is this king, but he's not throwing a birthday party. He's actually throwing a party. Now, now, how many of you have had a birthday party that lasted over a day? Anybody? Besides my wife? <laughs> a couple of you have. My wife, when it's her birthday, I mean, she celebrates all week long. If we'd let her, she'd celebrate all month long. <laughs> I mean, she says birthdays are meant to be enjoyed. And she gets all excited over them. I mean, she just makes a big deal about birthdays. She really enjoys it. <laughs> My daughter has picked up on that tradition. Last June on her birthday, she was going around singing all day long. It's my birthday. It's my birthday. I don't know. Expects to get away with everything that day, you know? Well, this king, how would, how would you like to have your birthday last for seven days? A party for seven days. Well, how about 180 days? Can you imagine? That's the whole school year, young people. (laughs) Can you imagine if you got off the entire school year for your birthday? That'd be like best birthday ever. (laughs) It's not going to happen. Don't get excited. But this king was throwing a 180-day party. You see, what he was going to do is this king was trying to do something. Now, it had basically become one drunken bash. 
This, this king was trying to build something, and we'll get to that in just a moment, but it had become one huge drunken party. He was going to have a feast. He had commanded all of his rulers to come in. All of the king's horses, all the king's men had all come in. And they were all going to be around this kingdom and have this party for 180 days with the king. Now, I want you to look at what he had done. He would actually, in verse number 8... Now, we have drinking laws today that sometimes are obeyed, sometimes not. I... I cringe when I see all these beer advertisements because they don't ever show the, the lady or the man that's, that's crying over the son or daughter that's been killed by DUI. They don't ever show you that garbage. But here the king's law was in verse 8. The drinking was according to the law. Now what that means, he had commanded that everybody drink. He had looked at everyone. He had commanded them to get drunk. Where's God in this? I mean, this looks like that God is as far far away as he can get. A 180-day party with every ruler that you can think of. Just imagine now, if you will, for just a moment. Politics in our country has gotten to be a nasty thing. It really has. Uh, Most of our politicians, unfortunately, and I don't know the answer to it, but they spend so much time trying to get back in office the next time, it's hard for them to get anything done. And if you're going to be in in politics, it's a very, very nasty game, unfortunately. But just imagine... If our current president had called all of our mayors, all of our state heads, all of our governments, all of our officials in to have a 180-day bash. Now, one, we want to know who's going to pay for that, wouldn't we? But can you imagine the state of the country after that? Where's God in that? Well, unless you think the, the, the king Xerxes is a charitable man and wanting all of his loyal subjects to have a great time, let me burst your bubble. He was not. In fact, it was politics. Not only the party, but the politics. The king was attempting to take over the world. You know, years ago, Pinky and the Brain tried it every day at 4 o'clock, but they were usually defeated. Most superheroes, have you ever noticed that they need a, they always seem to at the end, somehow Superman makes it or, you know, somehow Wonder Woman manages to get out ahead, you know. Wiley Coyote just never seems to be able to catch the uh, Roadrunner, does he? Somehow they manage to slip away. Well, unfortunately, that's not always real life. And King Xerxes was attempting to take over the world and he wanted to have the known world because he had actually stated, I want to run a bridge straight through Greece. Remember I told you he was a maniac. He was all about revenge. He wanted to avenge his father and he wanted to run a bridge right through the middle of Greece. He knew he could not do that by himself. He did not have enough power to do so. So he decided that he would try to get all these rulers drunk and get them to pledge their allegiance unto him. He wanted to get them to have a great time at his expense, and it was all about getting them on his side. 
You know, when a man's drunk, he'll do and say things that he wouldn't normally do. And so it was all about politics. Now, I want to ask you this question again. Where is God in the politics? Where is God in our politics today? I don't care if it's an independent, if it's a Republican, if it's a Democrat. If God's not in it, it's not going to change our country. And you need to vote. It's your right as a citizen. You need to get out there and you need to vote for the candidate that you've researched and is your choice. But if God's not in it, I don't care who we vote for. It's not going to change if God's not in it. Where is God in politics? Where is he? You see, if God is not present in everything that we do, you can throw it away. And yet you say here with this drunken king, this drunken party, this big time bash, where's God? You know, the king had no clue about God. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I, don't, I wouldn't want to embarrass anybody that way or I wouldn't want it to get back to your workplace. <laughs> Is your boss a Christian? Some of you work for yourself, so you really have to be careful, don't you? <laughs> Is your administration where you work saved? Do you know? If you don't, maybe you ought to find out. But where's God in their life? Where's God in your everyday job? Where is He? You see, sometimes, and we may think that our job or our everyday life is, must be a million miles away from where God is. But can I tell you, it's not. Sometimes the thing that is absent the most in name is present the most. You take God and you tell people that they can't talk about the name of God and God's name will grow. You begin to put persecution on our churches. You know what's going to happen? The churches are going to grow. It's been proven over and over and over again in other countries. And when there are places when men try to take out the name of God, guess what? They grow. Go all the way back to the land of Egypt. The, the king said, no, we're going to kill every, every boy child that's born. You can't have a male child born. You've got to kill him. And I'm going to destroy God's people. And what happened? The, the Bible says that the children of Israel waxed and waxed and waxed greater. In other words, they grew and they grew and they grew greater. They multiplied. You try to take the absence of God out. In our country, God was said to get out of schools. And you know what? God's name's going to grow. Now, it may not go always in the country in the way we want it to do. But don't you fear. God's there. Where is God? In the politics. But next, I want you to see this. Where is God in the parade? He asked for Vashta, the queen. So that he was, he was married and he called his chamberlains, his, his men servants that waited on the queen. Now, things were a little different than they seem. I'm going to explain that to you as best I can. With Vashta the queen had a feast going on for all the ladies at this same time, all their wives that were having this big party. The king calls for Vashta. And he says, I want her to come and I want her to put on a parade for us. Now, drinking and immorality go together. I want you to remember that. Young people, 
Don't take the first one and you won't have to worry about being a drunk. You say, you sound like you hate alcohol. No, I just hate the effects of it. I see it too much. I've been beside too many graves and too many young people that were buried because of alcohol. It'll destroy you. You say, well, I, I would never be immoral like that. Just get drunk a few times at a couple of parties and see what you do. And here he brings in this queen. You say, where's God in this parade that he wants to do? I'm going to show you where he's at. He had given a conscience to this queen. I don't know if she even knew had ever heard about God. The, queen, the king certainly hadn't. And without trying to be in a, in a group of, of mixed people as well as young people, I don't want to be too lewd or anything, but I want you to understand he didn't want her to just come in and parade around in a beauty pageant. The words literally mean there when it says to show herself meant to reveal herself. He wanted something akin to a strip club to go on. He wanted to come in and show the queen's beauty off in a very ungodly, disgusting manner. And she said, no. Now, man, how do you like it if your wife, you ask her something and she kind of says, no. Well, most of you, if you're smart, will say, yes, dear, but... The king, however, wasn't used to doing that. (laughs) He had ordered this queen... Just imagine this scene. I mean, when you begin to look at this, Mimucan, we're going to figure out, is kind of a... a a little bit of a hen-pecked husband here, and he's going to show that in a little bit. Where's God in this parade? Well, God is going to come along and he's going to have a conscience installed in this queen who may not even know him and to have the guts enough to say, no, queen, king, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to come in there and provide entertainment for you and your drunken buddies. Well, now, if you study history, what happens when kings are told no? They get mad, don't they? Where's God in this? Can I tell you that before the world began, he knew you. We are framed in the womb, the psalmist states. But you know what else? Ever since the Garden of Eden, God said, I will send my seed. I will send a redeemer. I will send one who will redeem fallen man from their sins. Now, the devil is not all-knowing. Don't ever forget it. But he does realize that he knows God was going to do something that he said he was going to do. He was going to send a redeemer. The devil was smart enough to figure out that what God said, it was going to come through the line of the Jews, through the line of Israel. And if you were to trace Scripture, there is a thread running throughout the entire Old Testament leading into the New Testament, all the way through King Herod, that tried to squash the Jews. It hasn't stopped there. It's went all the way through Hitler, all the way into recent days. Even now, there is a large, large contingent of the world that would like to squash and exterminate the Jews. You say, are you being racial? I'm just telling you what the truth is, what the Bible is, what history states. <laughs> you look at it, it's true. All the way back when Queen Athaliah, she wanted to kill the one that would be part of the, the line. And you just go on and on and on. There, there's a huge history of it. 
They wanted to squash out the Jews. This in itself was a time in which I believe the devil had in his mind, if I can get the Jews removed from their homeland, I will take them out of there. They'll never have a home again. They'll not have a nation. They'll be destroyed. There'll be no more Israel. There'll be no more Jerusalem. And he thought he'd won. And guess what? Even up into 1948, guess what? (laughs) Surprise, surprise, surprise. (laughs) The Jews have a nation. When this drunken parade started, God had put in the heart of this queen to say no. He had put it in her heart to rebel against this wicked king and say, I'm not going to do that. Because he had planned this in the help of keeping and protecting his people. Friend, God has you, if you know Him as Savior, in the palm of His hand. And He's not going to let you go. That may be bad English, but it's good theology. He knows where you're at. He doesn't, he's not letting you go. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He sealed you with the promise until the day, as He says, and you're fine. You ain't going nowhere. He had this event planned. Well, the king says... She said, what? And it says he was very, very angry. He was mad. Now, you need to understand, this king is a very much maniac. could even be called a minute depressant, according to all of his symptoms. In fact, this king was such a maniac that one time he had sent a fleet of ships out to to go out in in the world. And they went out and they were destroyed. And when those fleet of ships were destroyed by a storm that came up, the king literally went running down to the seashore in a fit of rage, removed his belt, and began to beat the ocean. He was going to spank it into shape. (laughs) And you thought your boss was crazy. That's how crazy this man was. He was literally crazy. He had driven himself mad with the obsession of taking over Greece to where nothing else mattered. And he was planning to kill anybody or party up anybody with pleasure, one of the two, anybody that got in his way. Vashta says no. The king said, she said, What? And Vashta steps off the pages of Scripture, for all we know. Where was God in all this? Where was God? When this problem arose. You see, now we have a problem. We have a king, but we have no queen. We have a king who's mad at his queen because of what she won't do and her conscience has spoke out and God had made her say no. But we have a problem. I want to ask you this question though. Have you ever had a problem? Where's God? Where's God at this moment? Where's God at this moment where this mad king, crazy, this queen that's got a conscience, a crazy king... Where's God? Has he somehow forgotten his name is not pinned in the pages of the book of Esther? Has he been removed? Has he decided to take a vacation? 
I mean, we saw Wednesday night as in Psalms 121, he says, my God neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's never gone. So where is he? Last week, when you couldn't find your car keys, where was God? You know, last week, uh, it was a very difficult week around here. We had a number of different folks in a lot of, a lot of different places, a lot of different problems. Ministry is people and people who have problems. So therefore, you need to understand ministry is people with problems. So last week, I know as we were down in Florida, we were excited. We had one saved Sunday night. Young adults saved the church we were preaching at. And, but, I, but I longed to be back here because I knew we had so many different things going on. And even asked God a couple times, God, are we in the right place? And God assured me we were. And when that man trusted Christ, I knew we were. <laughs> Share Brother Donnie and Miss Deborah's testimony. And when I did, it broke that young man's heart. He was already under conviction before the message started. Last week, we saw a number of things. Brother Jackson lost a brother-in-law. Where was God in that? Brother Jim had a, had a little surgery on his hand last week while his father-in-law was up in the hospital. Where's God in that? Where's God in the fact that our pastors had to be in the hospital and got a, got a long, long problem here that it's just going to take a while to get over? Where's God? I'll be honest, and I, I, I've never had a time. It, it hit me pretty hard, too, because I've, had a, I've never had a time in my life from the time I was 15 till now that I couldn't pick up the phone and call my mentor and friend. Where's God in that? Where was God when last week a young man, you know that we know through our church, little brother was killed instantly in a car accident. It was Caden, Caden and his father crossing that intersection, that box truck, as I saw the news and I looked at those pictures and I thought, oh my Lord, somebody was in trouble. I didn't even realize it was somebody we knew until later. And I thought, somebody, I hope that everybody made it out. That was my first thought when I saw the pictures. So I know some of you here are related to them, to the Allen family. And I thought, where's God in that? You see, God could have sweeped down with a band of angels and moved that box truck out of the way. But he didn't. You know, a few months ago, we've seen a number of folks that have went home to be with Jesus this last year. You know, when Brother Gary's mom and all the boys' mother went home, I'm sure they were asking, God, where are you? You know, in all of those things, where's God? This week, I don't know what's going to face you. Yesterday, Miss Miss Gay Winfro had her birthday, and on such a nice day, she tripped and fell down the, the stairs and... Broke some bones. You go, where's God in that? As we look through this book of Esther, as I told you, his name is not printed in it. Where was he? 
And I'm going to ask Brother Joe Barry to come up this time in just a moment, and he's going to go into our invitation time with a song in just a moment. But where is God in all that? I'm going to challenge you as we go through this book the next couple of weeks, look for him. Look for God. Where is he in those times? I don't know what you're going to face this coming week, but there may be a time you're going to ask yourself, where is God? And friends, I'm going to tell you, there are times you need more than just, oh, well, he's in heaven. You know, as I stood there in the hospital this last week with with, um, Kaysen, as he's lost his little brother and there's his father in the hospital, and I I looked at that that young man. He's in shock, and rightfully so. He didn't want a theological lesson about where God's throne is. He didn't need to know about all the theologies. He didn't know know about sanctification and eschatology and justification. I looked at him and I said, son, I don't know. And you know what? He looked at me and he just held out his arms. And I gave him a big hug. That's all he needed to know. Can I tell you this morning, God is where he's always been and God is where he's always going to be. He ain't moved. That's bad, the- bad English once again, but great theology. Job says it is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. If you look over in the book of Hebrews, you find out that Jesus Christ is sitting there. You find out that he's on the mercy seat up there. He is on his throne. God's not been displaced. He's not been disgusted. He's not been defeated. He's not even discouraged this morning. Where is he? He's where he's always been. He's where he's always going to be. Before the world began, he knew everything that we saw was going to happen. When we began to study the book of Esther, he knew this was a drunken king. He knew this was a queen that'd say no. He knew in just a few weeks we're going to see there's a queen that says, I don't want to be queen. And yet she is. And he's going to know all about that stuff in your life. If you will, turn with me quickly to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians... I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians. That's what I get for not writing that one down. But the Lord just reminded me of that verse, and I want you to see it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. What a great passage of Scripture. We don't have time to go into all of it, but I want you to see this. Verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Verse 17, if you'll skip down to me, with me to there, I preached this message Wednesday night, 9-12-01. It was a day after 9-11. I remember standing there going out on visitation on 9-11. We had faith teams all out. We had about 70 faith evangelism teams out on 9-11. People let us in the door that night. And preached this message on 9-12, because I want you to look at verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but a moment... 
worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. These things are temporary. Where's God? He's there. Do you know Him? Do you know Him this morning? There's going to come a time when you're going to be asking yourself, where's God, right, Brother Donnie? When the doctor says cancer, you're going to be asking. And if you don't know him, you're going to be wanting to know, where is he?